Hello, welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delore, the show that explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies we live within. I hope you're all still keeping sane and mentally stimulated during these difficult times. I know that I've been keeping busy with all of my constant traveling and the need to keep on the go, but when I do get a moment, I like to reflect on this year and explore the true positives of this lockdown. Although you might not think that there are many, here's a few. CO2 levels have dropped, the hole in the ozone layer has healed itself, and bees are making a comeback. Yes, they are. Another example of a positive of this lockdown is that families are now forced to spend time together and engage in activities such as drawing and art. I think maybe a lot of them are getting bored of the usual charades because we do that Christmas. So that's a positive. And I've seen many talented artists rising from the ashes of this lockdown like a talented phoenix. And I'm sure you have. Speaking of talented artists, my guest this week is Claire Villa, a highly skilled artist who focuses on designing roles of honor. Now you might think, how is that even considered art? What is role of honor designing and how does that even become a career? Well, listen in to this week's episode and you'll hear all of the answers to those questions and how our metaphor links with her life. But for now, let's delve into our metaphor this week, failure is not an option, as we embark on a journey that owes its beginnings to the exploration of space. This week's phrase, failure is not an option, is one that seems a little intense. It is a sentence that is commonly associated with Gene Kranz, the lead flight director of the infamous Apollo 13 mission. I'm sure you've heard of the similarly titled movie starring Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon, which presents a dramatic retelling of the space expedition. In preparation for the film, the scriptwriters interviewed Gene Kranz, wanting to understand the mission's events fully. When Kranz was asked whether people simply panicked during the more stressful moments, he responded, No, when bad things happened, we just calmly laid out all the options and failure was not one of them. The writers immediately perked up upon hearing this. Kranz sensed their urgency and bid them goodbye, thinking that he'd simply bought them. But in fact, the writers couldn't wait to get back to the studio as they just found the movie's tagline, failure is not an option. We never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. That was Ed Harris as Gene Kranz in the 1999 film. It's a line that has since resonated with the flight director, later using it as the title of his autobiography. Kranz really agreed that it captured the attitude of mission control. So what went wrong during the Apollo 13 mission? In 1970, a crew of three astronauts set out on an expedition to the moon. The hunk of rock was to be their primary destination so they could collect soil samples. The crew managed to make it 200,000 miles away from Earth, reaching the moon's orbit. However, an oxygen tank exploded after a routine maintenance check. This bang caused various internal systems to fail and forced them to abort the mission. Failure really wasn't an option with the team. Realistically, there was no plan B. 
It was either return the crew safely back to Earth or abandon the three astronauts up in space. NASA just didn't see the latter as an alternative. This metaphorical doning of blinkers is what the phrase is intending to express. When we hear the word option, there is an implication that we have a choice, that there is an alternative path to the one presented to us. Sometimes we choose failure because we have to or we want to. One such example is of the noted fashion designer Vera Wang. Most famously known for her bridal wear, Wang's original ambitions were to become an Olympic figure skater. However, after failing to qualify for the 1968 American team, she realized that her dream just wasn't meant to be. She would have to find her success elsewhere, which is exactly what she did. Her gowns have since been worn by A-list figures such as Alicia Keys, Michelle Obama and the Kardashian sisters. However, considering failure is not the point to this phrase. The point is that we don't see it, we don't believe it, we absolutely cannot fail. Take a listen to this early clip of the immensely talented Lauren Hill. Here she is at age 13 performing at the Apollo Theatre in New York. If you're unfamiliar with the clip, be warned. You'll hear pretty early on the audience aggressively boo her. Come on, Lauren. We're going to love you. Sing for us. I'm sure you found that a little uncomfortable to listen to. It's hard to understand why the audience felt such a need to discourage this brave kid, but Hill doesn't give up. And I don't mean with her career, being a six-time Grammy Award winner, but in the actual performance, she sings her song to the very end. She even grabs the mic, saunters around the stage, enjoying the incredible chance she has to sing at the Apollo. The confidence in her is astounding. So much so that the audience finally seems to agree. They start off with a soft clap, they settle into their seats, and then finally... If you dream big, you have to expect to fail along the way. But to achieve that dream, you need to keep picking yourself up and pushing on. This kind of mindset requires belief, perseverance, and a strong will. It's not for the faint-hearted. Little Lauren Hill didn't see failure as an option. She kept going, and she was right to. She went on to achieve her dream, making an immense impact on modern music, which is still listened to and enjoyed by so many today. Seeing her success after that early discouraging experience shows you the immense strength it can take to keep persevering. If a plucky 13-year-old could do it, surely we all can. My guest this week is the brilliant and talented Claire Villar. Having found her calling in life as a role of honor designer, Claire has positioned herself in a truly unique field. She originally worked as an illustrator, so we talked to her about why she made the leap to designing Role of Honours 
and how her relationship with the military worked alongside her art. Claire, can you tell me how our metaphor has affected your life and your career? My metaphor, failure is not an option, really um, was a huge help when I gave up my job uh, working for Shropshire Council and I was fully employed and I decided to take voluntary redundancy, which was a huge uh, leap of faith, to take up my career as a full-time artist. Uh, I was paying school fees at that stage, uh, along with my ex-husband, and I had nothing else, no financial help to uh, to step out that I could afford all the school fees and all the relative, um, you know, monetary expenditure on top. And really, that metaphor really focused me and drove me forward. So I I didn't fail. Um, you know, it was a huge leap of faith I had to take financially as well as everything else. And I was very driven to make it work because I hadn't got a plan B. Uh, so that's how, and also family life as well, it had a massive knock-on effect. Uh, so yeah, that's how my metaphor uh, drove me forward. So don't keep us in suspense any longer. Can you tell our listeners what it is you eventually started doing? I have become and um, a multi-award winning military artist and I am now being commissioned by regiments not just in the UK but now in Australia I secured my first Australian piece, uh, Canada, Cyprus and all over the world and they are huge pieces of artwork and I handwrite all the current serving soldiers names in calligraphy along with their battle honours and hand painted cap badges and they take three or four months to produce and um, uh, in total and um, and they get to sit proudly and displayed in the officers mess and headquarters and I then do a print run and it's very humbling to know that my artwork will be seen for generations of soldiers and officers uh, in, the, in the future so that's what I uh, that's what I now do. How did that begin? It began a long time ago in 2002. I did a, um, a role of honor for a friend. It was really a, just a, a small piece we designed together and it took six months. And once I completed, I was still doing my full-time job. And uh, it sat in, the, in barracks just outside Telford for 12 years before it got spotted by another regiment. And it got spotted by the Yeomanry Regiment, uh, Wessex Yeomanry. And um, they asked me to do a piece which was going to be presented to Princess Anne which was fantastic and then it really became a role it sort of just a sort of span and roll on um it by by itself it then other regiments saw it and it snowballed from there and i've literally i mean i was doing a lot of animal portraiture until that stage but i've really had to give up that now because i've got so much uh regimental military roles of honor i'm literally doing two at the same time as we speak so they've it's just been absolutely incredible i didn't if i'd have known this was going to happen i would have given up my day job 
years ago. I mean, years ago, if I'd have known. And I feel I've wasted so much time and I'm now catching up. But um, it's very rewarding. It really is working for yourself. You have to be very driven and you have to be very motivated and you have to believe in the product you're selling, whether you're creating it or something else. And that and hard work and determination, you can't go wrong, really, hopefully. Why are roles of honour important? Why are they important? Yes. They are a snapshot of the regiment at a particular time or a date, or they are a prestigious for a, pres a prestigious event. Uh, so it's whether they are presented for the royal family on a particular day, or whether it's to um, a, pres a prestigious event marking a centenary or a tercentenary. Uh, but they normally have to be for a, a prestigious event like that to include the names, because obviously it's very difficult. You have to have a, a cutoff of where you include names and you can't include names. And that's very difficult. So um, they are normally for prestigious events and presented to normally the uh, royals, um, Princess Anne. The Queen was presented my work a couple of years ago up in Scotland and uh, Prince Charles. So we've had quite a few of them already and it's a, just a very humbling, very proud moment when I'm standing with the regiment, with my artwork, uh, being introduced to various members of the royal family and it's just wonderful to see the faces of the soldiers to see their name personal name written on this military uh, piece of history they are so proud and uh, it's wonderful it's 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 so wonderful I'm very lucky to be able to do what I do how did it feel actually working for the royals knowing that they're going to be looking at what you do and you know we see uh, images um, of our royals as being very uh, uh, critical and very precise. How did that feel for you? Crikey, it's very, um, it can be very stressful knowing that my artwork's going to be presented to them because obviously they're all, um, they all come straight up to it, look at all the detail. Uh, so there is no margin for error. And, um, you know, I have to get it absolutely spot on. And there was an occasion a couple of years ago now where uh, I had to redo a particular piece because it was pre presented to Prince Charles. It was also going in their presentation uh, document. And, um, and they had to, they kept, four times they came back to me asking for amendments to be done. So I had to start it all over again. And the third and final time I got three quarters of the way around and I dropped yellow paint all over it. And I had to start again, oh and I had three days to get the whole thing. So I had about three hours sleep in three days. I literally dropped paint all over it. And it was heartbreaking. I didn't actually want to admit it to myself. I walked into the kitchen thinking that's not just happened. And uh, so the pressure to get it right is one thing. The pressure not to make a mistake is another. Because if you've made a mistake, there's no going back. I have to literally start again, and it can be at the very end. I'm writing, don't forget, I'm writing anywhere between three and 700 names. And if I go and make a mistake on the last name, I have to start the whole thing all over again. I did a, an, a Canadian piece for the World War I um, in an enormous, great, big um, uh, maple leaf, and that contained 979, 999 names. And I was absolutely terrified because right at the very end, I was so worried about making mistakes. It had taken me weeks to write all those names. Anyway, it was all absolutely fine. But you have to have nerves of steel. Yeah, it sounds like it. And not it. think that being presented to the royal family at the end, you just have to 
focus on what you're doing and not make a mistake. Oh my gosh. And do you barricade yourself into your your office or your art studio? Yes, I, I, I was lucky enough to have my art studio last year. Unfortunately, I don't have that um, facility anymore. So I'm back to the dining room table. Uh, but hopefully I will, I'll be able to get another one very soon. But yes, I just have to close the door, make sure there's no noise and just really focus. Cause I can, if I, my brain starts wandering, it's amazing how suddenly I've written something by mistake and you've, you know, it, you have to be really focused and it's painstaking. But when each individual role is finished and it's framed, you know, they are absolutely, they really look fantastic. And the lovely thing is that, you know, for the last half money, hundreds of years, the regiments used to commission silver if there was a, a prestigious event. So my roles of honour are now a far more preferable option to the silver that the, the regiments used to um, commission for these events. They're very expensive. And my artwork is, is a far more personal item because it contains all the officers and soldiers' names on it. And that's, you know, it's a very personal thing for their military history. And uh, whereas silver is bought out once or twice a year, it's polished and then put, about, put away again. Whereas my paintings are displayed and everybody can see them coming in and out of the regiments. So they are a much cheaper and preferable, a more personal option to silver. Lovely. Um, would you say that Rolls of Honor development is a unique form of illustration? And have you ever thought of teaching it in schools, colleges or universities? That's a very good question. It is unique. Rolls of Honor used to be done hundreds of years ago, but they pretty much concentrated on the fallen soldiers rather than the current soldiers so my idea to include the current soldiers as of yet i haven't found any other artist in the uk or abroad that is doing what i'm doing i did a huge amount of research before i actually went self-employed to see what my competition was like. I've also spoken to antiques expert, military expert, and although they've seen roles of honor, um, you know, that my idea is completely unique. So there's nobody else doing it. As far as teaching it in schools, it's a good idea, um, logistically wise, to actually show them what I'm doing is quite dangerous only because it only takes one mistake and to paint you know, people like to see it, you in action. Yes. Well, when I'm transporting the, um, you know, the artwork, it gets damaged. Um, however, I do have done talks for the WI, and I'm very happy to do talks to schools. In fact, I'm being interviewed next week for an African school, a Kenyan school, to tell them what I do. Um, so it's really to teach, almost teach people that, you know, whatever you want to do in life, if you work hard, regardless of what you're doing, you know, it's especially being female, you know, it is possible. So yes, I'm very happy to do, you know, interviews and, and teach schools what I do. I just have to think about how I do it without actually taking the artwork with me. Also, I don't want people jumping on the bandwagon and, and yeah, copying. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> it's of my course. secret. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who is the one client you'd yeah. love to create a role for? Okay. Uh, it's the Queen's Platinum Jubilee next year, 2022, and I would love to do one for her. 
she's going to have lots of gifts but that's the one I would love to do I'd love to gift it to her I don't know how I would do it it would take a lot of work but that's the one I would like to do actually give it to her personally myself could you have not approach the palace and ask them tell them that, that uh, I've like actually I have um, I have actually cons um, corresponded to the uh, member of parliament for media mm -hmm. and also some who else is being actually uh, drafted in to uh, do these um, events so I've also contacted them and um, to see if, if, if it's an option and they both written back saying it's a really good idea they are just exploring lots of ideas at the moment so okay. I'm going to just at the end of this year I'm going to push it a little bit more and if it was if it was commissioned that would be absolutely oh, oh, that, I think I'd fly to London for that okay <laughs> <laughs> um what has someone said about your work that overwhelmed you? I've had quite a few comments when I've handed pieces of work over to the regiment. Uh, one comment, actually, especially last week, I've, through LinkedIn, was someone saying, a, a colonel, saying they'd see my work and I should be extremely proud of the work I do for our regiments and for other soldiers and officers. Um, when, when, my, when my roles of honour are seen, they've never seen anything like it and um, they they couldn't believe it. They were so thrilled. And um, they just said, I should be extremely proud of what I do. And when you read something like that through, and when it comes from a colonel, you know, it it really means an awful lot to me. So, um, and when it's just when I see people's faces, the officers' faces, seeing yes. their names on it, seeing the pride, and that says it all for me. And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, through my website, www.clairevillamilitaryart.com. Um, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And you can see some examples of my work, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and also LinkedIn has been phenomenal. Uh, any of those, Claire Villa, uh, you can get in touch with me. And um, any for any inquiries at all. Well, Claire, it's been a pleasure knowing you, watching you grow. And, uh, you know, your roles of honor, they're just unbelievable. Sometimes I, I think, could a human being possibly have actually, you know, did this? Because you're so used to machines doing things to perfection. But when I see your work, I, I think, oh my gosh. And you're like you say, you have to have nerves of steel because I don't think I could write one word of what you do. Oh, thank you. And it's been an absolute pleasure, Delia. And you've been a huge support to me for, for a few years now. And it's it, I can't tell you how uh, appreciative I am. Um, you've been extremely kind. And um, I just look forward to seeing, seeing what happens in the future, really. That makes two of us. And I'm sure your family and friends must be very happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, fingers crossed. When I've made more money, I'm sure they'll be even more proud. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it happens that way sometimes. You know, you have to do things like this, and then it happens. Absolutely. And I have a big Absolutely. feeling, great one, that it's going to happen for you. I must say, conducting interviews like these teach me so much. The ability for someone to find their own passion and their own path and achieve great success is something I have always been keen to hear about. Claire's work stands for a lot, but let's look more into this week's metaphor and see what we can perceive this metaphor to stand for. Failure is not an option. It sounds like an imperative, an essential or urgent command, because grammatically it is. It is a very simple sentence like saying, an opportunity is not a commandment, 
or a grizzly bear is not a companion. They're all just words, but we give them meaning. This saying is meant to sound enthusiastic and uplifting, although it is predominantly full of negative words such as failure and not. So in terms of this saying, although meaning to be full of positivity can in fact encourage the fear of failure, it's totally normal to want to avoid failure. We are all living to succeed, achieve victory and survive, but living in fear of failure is not so healthy. Atikiphobia, fail of failure, is when we allow that fear to stop us from doing the things that can move us forward to achieve our goals. Living in fear is no way to live. It will prevent us from taking risks, exploring new places and seriously affect our mental health. Instead, we should find the positive in the situation. You tried, you failed, but at least you tried. Instead of saying, failure is not an option, it might be more empowering to say, success is the only option, choosing to focus on the positive. Adopting a more positive mindset is proven to be good for the immune system, which is very important at this moment. It reduces anxiety and increases positive emotions, such as joy. Failure is not an option, it's a state of mind. Next time you feel your life is in despair, take note of all the things in your life you can be grateful for, everything you have learned from trying your best. Turn your failures into successes. Rise like a phoenix from the ashes. All those negatives, right? They eventually turned out to be huge positives for me. So I uh, would implore you all right now, think about every negative in your life. Think about every reason that you have not to succeed. Think of every barrier that's in your way right at this moment. I guarantee you, everything you thought of, that's gonna be the reason you succeed. Thank you. For example, take this boxing champion who was suspended for three and a half years at the height of his professional career, Muhammad Ali. The suspension was a result of his claim for conscientious objector status after the US military drafted him to fight in Vietnam. Ali famously said, I ain't got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. After clearing his name in court, he was reinstated by the Boxing Association, but it was the 1970s now and the arena had changed. Fighting machines, Joe Frazier and George Foreman were arguably more formidable than any competitor the younger Ali had fought back in the 1960s. Ali trained and prepared himself for the fight of the century, against Fraser in 1970 and lost, but he was not defeated. No, Ali later beat Fraser in a rematch, then in the same year beat reigning champion George Foreman. He was the people's champion and kept fighting until 1981. An Olympic gold medalist and the first fighter to capture the heavyweight title three times, Ali won 56 times in his 21-year professional career and became a sporting legend because he did not accept failure as an option. Here are some words of wisdom from the man himself on avoiding failure.
You really can't plan a fight when you're meeting a man you've never met before, right? You just have to get your tools ready. Here's a car stops on the highway. They call the AAA or whatever and say, my car's broke down. What it is, the lady, she don't know us. Well, the man comes with all the tools, and he come equipped to handle whatever the problem is. An astronaut goes into space, and he pretends that something happens to the ship before he take off. He gets out, and he works on it. He's not looking for something to happen, but it might happen. So I didn't I just had everything ready. Now, now, after the first round, being here with a top professional, a man so great, had so many knockouts, never been defeated, never been even scratched, I didn't know really how good he was. So I had to come in, actually a little nervous, and with everything ready. After one round of dancing, I found out that this would tire me out. So I would have to resort to ropes. I figured that out after the first round. So I said, I'm going to go to these ropes, and I'm going to let this man throw everything he can, let him tire himself out. He might look like he's winning, and if he don't hurt me, I'm going to stay here. But if he should be as great as they say he is, if he hits as hard as they say he hit, when he hits you and breaks your arm, he knocked out Joe Frazier, I couldn't do it, knocked out Ken Norton. He was a big, bad jab before the fight, you remember. Now, you remember that, don't you? Yeah, I do. How bad he was? <laughs> <laughs> they don't say that now, but you remember he was a real bad cat the other day, right? Don't forget that. Now, after I found out he didn't have it, I stayed there. But if he had had what I thought he had had or what they said he had, I'd have kept running, hoping I wouldn't get tired. Remember, preparation is key. Failure to prepare is preparing to fail, which is not an option. Even if you look upon some of the finest superheroes out there. In Avengers Infinity War, they lost half of their team to Thanos, but did not accept their failure and perfected time travel to undo their mistakes. Mistakes can be fixed and new paths can be found. Remember this. So what can you take away from this week's saying? It's often the simplest expressions that allow for the most interpretations and I feel this one is no exception. Failure is not an option. It can be a warning, a motto or a motivation. You shouldn't fear failure as it will always be a possibility, but do your best to avoid it. If you do fail, which will happen sometimes, treat it as an opportunity to learn and grow. Then again, it all depends on how you define failure. If you always focus on the positive side, you'll never fail again. And so failure won't be an option. Make sure you take the time to appreciate how wonderful and talented you are all the amazing things you have accomplished and embrace your mistakes. One day, you will be grateful for them. Well, I must say today's episode has been an eye-opener. I can't say I have met that many people in this world that conduct a unique form of art. And for that, I applaud you, Claire. I really do. Remember, failure is measured in all sizes, but it's not always bad. Push yourself and use failure to your advantage. As Thomas H. Palmer said, if at first you don't succeed, you know the rest. Try, try again. Don't forget to make sure that you follow us on Instagram and let us know about any failures you've turned into successes. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at 
msdelia at deliadelore.com and we'd love for you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorfulradio.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. Men, women, enjoy and support International Women's Month. Join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe.